0: Kenneth Copeland is at it again. Dude is obsessed with getting people's money and convincing them to vote for Donald Trump. We're gonna watch a couple videos by Copeland where he shows the darkest side of his humanity, or what's left of it. And then we're gonna take a look at how other televangelists are reacting to what Trump's been doing. According to some right-wing extremists, like Charlie Kirk, the US doesn't have a race problem. Who is Charlie Kirk? We're gonna take a look at the guy, talk about who he is, and look at a flurry of tweets he sent on the subject recently. Reuters did some polling recently and concluded that Republicans are growing pessimistic about the country's direction. That means Trump's reelection is in danger. What's he gonna do about it? What do the polls look like? Does he still have a shot at winning the election? Before we get into all that, let's listen to some voicemails. Don't forget, if you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. That's 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. This is Matthew in West Virginia, but not from West Virginia. What do you think about Athens? Apathy versus a rational argument in moving people away from religious beliefs. That's an interesting question. We're going to get a little bit into that when we talk about the polling of religious people versus non-religious people in the U.S. and Democrats versus Republicans, so on and so forth. There's this phenomena in U.S. politics. It's called the enthusiasm value, for lack of a better term. How many people are enthusiastic about voting for Bernie versus how many are enthusiastic about voting for Biden. Obviously, Biden got more votes. He got more votes. So more people in the country are okay with having Biden as the president than are okay with having Bernie as the president. That's what it looks like right now. But the supporters that Bernie Sanders has are enthusiastic, and revved up, and excited, and want these changes, desperately need these changes to happen. Uh, It's the same with Donald Trump, too. The enthusiasm value with Donald Trump is very high. Not so much with people like Ted Cruz. People like Hillary Clinton, the enthusiasm value is practically nothing. I mean, she had almost nobody who was actually enthusiastic about voting for her. So what you're talking about here, apathy versus rational argument, it kind of harkens back to that whole thing. It's like an enthusiasm value for for atheism, if you will, or an enthusiasm value for religious belief or lack thereof. I think a lot of people in the U.S., are mostly apathetic about religion, don't really care, don't really know anything about it, don't really want to bother to go to church on Sundays because it sucks. And I think that number, last I checked, was around 27%. 27% of the country is a religious nun, quote unquote. They don't identify as anything, they just don't really care at all. That number may change a little bit since it's been a while since I've looked at a poll about it. But the... Percent of people, again, last I checked, who identify as atheist versus religious nun in the U.S. is about 6%. That's what it was last I checked. I would call that the enthusiasm value of atheism. People who are interested in these rational arguments and studying it and understanding it, the enthusiasm value for atheism is 6%. The apathy value for it is twenty seven. Hi Owen, my name is Ian. I'm a sergeant in the US Army from Washington. Uh watched the
1: episode about the Baha'i Faith. I was a Baha'i for over twenty years. And if at any point you want to contact me and I can
0: tell you my experience with it. Uh, I'm gonna have to stop it there because there's more information in there that I don't want to play on air, but this person was part of the Baha'i faith and it's an extremely fascinating belief system that I really wish that I knew more about and I may end up getting around to contacting this person. I just wanted to play that on air for a minute because I want to point something out. If your phone call is shorter than 60 seconds, like this one was only 30 seconds long, If if your call is shorter than 60 seconds, I guarantee you I will listen to it I don't have to play it on air necessarily or anything like that like there's no question here really to answer on air but I want to make note that I did hear the phone call and I appreciate the phone call and I'm gonna see if I can find the time to talk to you about it because it is an interesting subject if your phone calls are shorter than 60 seconds I will listen to them whether I can respond to them or not that's another story but I will hear them out
1: Hi, uh, I'm calling in for Julia and I'm, this is just their question, summing up what was a very long message earlier. I was talking to the student who was born into an extreme church. Uh, uh, Basically their questions are, what do you do if you have a friend who joined a church that might be harmful? What's the best thing to do for them? They want to minimize the impact of the situation. Uh, Would it be helpful to go to a few of the meetings at their church? Or to look up more stuff about the situation, what can I do? How should I be reacting if my friend joined uh, an extreme church that I feel is bad for them? Uh, Thanks.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that phone call. Um, I've talked about this a little bit on my channel before. I just want to touch on it real fast, though. Uh, Since the question came up, how do you deal with somebody who's joining an extreme religion or an extreme church? Uh, How do you kind of get them out of that? Back in the 1980s and the 1990s, they used to have cult deprogrammers who would basically go around and kidnap people and bring them to a cabin in the woods for uh, like two weeks or three weeks or a month and sit there and unbrainwash them, deprogram them, like tie them up. Make them sit there and talk it through with them until they snapped out of it, basically. So deprogramming people from a cult isn't difficult to do, necessarily. The hard thing about it is respecting their rights, their human rights, while you do it. Stephen Hassan, when he came out of, like, the Moonies and stuff like that, he didn't really have the same resources on cults that we have today. He made a lot of the resources that we use today to kind of help people out of cults and study cults and raise awareness about them. When he was leaving, he took a hard look at how to go about bringing somebody out of an extreme religion or an extreme cult like that. And he studied neuro-linguistic programming and the deprogramming techniques that they used in the 80s and 90s, like kidnapping people, violating their human rights to deprogram them, things like that. And he came to the same conclusion I, I have come to. You have to do this in a humane way, while respecting their rights. That's what makes this process so difficult. The best way that I have found to do that so far is a method of Socratic reasoning called street epistemology, where you basically ask them non-confrontational questions to try to get, lead them to the point where they start to see the absurdity of what they're believing in. Point out the logical fallacies in a non-confrontational way. Use words like we and let's, like let's figure this out together. I want to figure this out with you and decide if this is uh, something that we should be involved in, that we should be involved in. You want to do this in a non-confrontational way to keep their guard down, Because the moment they go on the defensive, the moment they feel like they're being attacked or judged or anything, they're going to shut down and the conversation's over. That's it. There's no way to get through to them anymore uh, without violating human rights. So you need to take it one step at a time, do it calmly and in a nice way, and make them feel like you're on their side and you want to work with them to figure this out. I've made videos about what types of questions to ask. You can also check out street epistemologists because they ask questions like that on the street all the time to people. Uh, Anthony Magnabosco has a YouTube channel doing it. It's really interesting to watch. And so does Cordial Curiosity. I always promote both of those too when I'm talking about street epistemology and how to deprogram cult members. Um, so give those two channels a watch if you're curious about how to go about doing that without raising their guard. Hi, Owen. My name is Lucian. I'm from Bay Area, California. Um, I was in a cult uh, called Teen Mania Ministries Honor Academy. It started in the 90s and was finally shut down sometime in the 2010s, and I was wondering if you'd be willing to cover that. All right. Thank you. Bye. I appreciate the phone call. It's really interesting. I actually did look into this group after you mentioned it, Teen Mania Ministries, but it was really hard to find resources about it that weren't basically from the group specifically. It's something I wanna look into more, but it's gonna take me time to find the right resources for it. So it it is on my radar. I do appreciate you calling in with that. And I will take a closer look at that at some point in time. Thank you for the phone call on that. Obama violated the judicial system, state rights, and got rid of full time employees. They all suck. Interesting. So that's your answer to whether or not Trump is, or that's your answer to how you feel about Trump. I'm not really sure what those specific things you listed, I, I don't know what you're referencing there. He violated the judicial system, state rights, and got rid of full time employees. I'm not sure what you're referencing there. Obama did do a lot of bad things. That's true. But Trump did a lot of bad things, and that's who we're talking about right now. What you're using here is called the Tuquoqui logical fallacy, where I'm talking about the bad things that Trump is doing and how you feel about those things and how you feel about Donald Trump. And you're responding with, well, what about that person? Obama is gone. He's not going to be president ever again. he's He's out of the line of sight. We're not even thinking about him anymore. What we're talking about is what's happening right here and right now, and I just can't deal with it. I, I just don't I feel like we don't have the right to peacefully protest anymore without fear of being imprisoned or beaten. A federal judge in New York just suspended habeas corpus for protesters. That means they can be jailed indefinitely without charges. Is that unconstitutional? Yes. Yes, it is. So it's going to go to the Supreme Court, and who's going to rule on that? Donald Trump put activist judges into power on the Supreme Court, loyal to him. And what does Donald Trump want? He wants protesters quelled and silenced. Do you think that there is a possibility that they will vote to maintain that suspension of habeas corpus? I'm not saying it's guaranteed to happen. It's not. But the possibility is there, and that's fucking disturbing. The fact that we could be jailed indefinitely without charges for peacefully protesting is trampling on our First Amendment rights. We don't have them anymore. A right is supposed to be a given, something you're born with, no questions asked. And we don't, I feel like I don't have that anymore. I feel like I don't. We're going to take another short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Kenneth Copeland and his obsession with other people's money and voting power. What other televangelists have had to say about the current state of the world and how it's different from Copeland's message. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. So the first article I wanted to take a look at is entitled "Scam Vangelist Kenneth Copeland Urges Poor People to Give Him More Money. This one is by Hemant Mehta, so let's give it a read and see what it says. During a live stream Thursday, televangelist Kenneth Copeland explained how there are exactly two times in a man's life when he must pay his tithes, when he has money, and when he doesn't.
1: There's two times in every person's life when he should tithe and give offerings. One is when he has the money, and the other is when he doesn't. Especially when he doesn't. Amen. Why, Brother Copeland, would you would you think a poor person should give and tithe? Absolutely absolutely
0: okay um so this guy's a nutcase i think we all knew that though so if it wasn't obvious yet this guy is obsessed with money let's continue reading this this short article here there is two times in every person's life when he should tithe and give offerings one is when he has the money and the other is when he doesn't especially when he doesn't amen Why, Brother Copeland, would you think a poor person should give a tithe? Absolutely. Absolutely. Good old Christian humor for you. Always hilarious. This is from Hemant Mehta. This is all very convenient for the multi-millionaire preacher to say, considering his rich friends are just handing over their spare boats. Remember that Copeland also said earlier this year that God told him he needed to raise $300 million. He could always sell his private jet, but no, he'd rather take pennies from the people who barely have any. The guy's got no shame, honestly. Guy's got no shame. So this transitions us into our next article. Let's give it a read and see what it says. This one's also by Hemant Mehta. The title is Scamvangelist Kenneth Copeland, Vote the Way God Wants You to and You'll Be Rich. Just last week, televangelist Kenneth Copeland explained that there were exactly two times in a man's life when he had to pay his tithes, when he has money, and when he doesn't. During a recent virtual victory campaign, he was right back at it. This time, he explained that people who cast a vote according to the leading of the Spirit of God, which to him means Donald Trump, though he didn't say that explicitly, will be blessed financially. Yeah, Copeland is like a mega Trump supporter. He's like a really, really big Trump supporter. Let's watch the video and see what he says in it.
1: Something that is equally pathetic is people that don't vote. This is the mightiest country on the face of the earth. And it is extremely important that we vote and do it according to the leading of the Spirit of God. Not just mama taught it and we bought it, you know, or, or grandma, or whoever it was. No, you know, you know where I'm going with that. It's very vital and very, very important.
0: Okay, I just want to point something out here real quick. What he's doing here is acting folksy. Um, it, it's a propaganda technique called plain folks. So I've talked about, I, I talked about propaganda in a recent video. And the bottom line with this propaganda technique is you want to seem like you are one of them. You want to seem like you're just like them. You wear plain clothes, you wear cheap suits, you wear glasses and everything else to try to identify with the crowd that you're talking to. Politicians do it all the time. So what he's doing here is using phrases that dog whistle to a time in someone's life when they were young and trusting that's what he's doing here that that's why he used that phrase mom taught it and i bought it or grandma or whoever he's trying to play to their emotions with that phrase let's continue uh watching this
1: it's important to your own financial welfare Well, Brother Copeland, what if I believe God wanted me to vote for this one and the other one won? Hey, you did what you believe before God. That ballot is your seed. You did what you believe was right and God will treat you the entire time that that person is in office, whether it's the governor, the president or us, senator or congressman, whomever it is. You need to vote in every race, not just the presidential race. Two years from now, there's gonna be another one. Get in that one. You vote in your city things. You, I mean, you're a voter, praise God. Amen. That ballot is your seat. And God will treat you the same and you'll be blessed financially and you'll be blessed in your body and you can put a smile on your face and say glory to God.
0: So, um... The guy is obviously encouraging his audience to vote and his audience is largely going to vote for one specific ticket. They're just gonna vote for the R all the way down. Now, I encourage people to vote too and I assume that most of my audience is going to vote Democrat because I'm a fairly liberal guy. I'm not a Democratic Party shill. I just so happen to be... Registered as a Democrat, but that's only because the Republicans that are running right now are people like this, and they're people who want to appeal to these types of people's audiences. And I'm just not interested in feeding a Christian nationalist agenda on a national stage. That's why I vote Democrat because they. Tend to not feed a Christian nationalist agenda, or not at least not as much as the Republican representatives do. I can't blame the guy for encouraging people to vote, though. Like I said, I do the exact same thing, but I think you should vote no matter who you are, even if you are a Republican, no matter what, you should vote. I think that voting is a civil duty and you should do it. Let's continue reading the article here and see what it says about it. This is a quote from the video. This is the mightiest country on the face of the earth, and it's extremely important that we vote and do it according to the leading of the spirit of God, Copeland said. It's very vital and very, very, very important. It's important to your own financial welfare. So what he's doing there is another propaganda technique called appeal to fear. Insurance companies running propagandistic material do this kind of thing too, where they'll say where are you going to be when your house floods and they'll show pictures or videos of people's houses completely engulfed in water lost all their stuff and they'll say if you're not with blah if you're not like with all state or whatever then you're not in good hands or something they'll try to scare you into doing what they want you to do presidential candidates do this all the time they're always using the appeal to fear they're always stoking fears i mean look at what donald trump said about immigrants he was stoking fears That's basically his entire campaign is the appeal to fear propaganda technique, Uh, among others. The fire hosing propaganda technique is a pretty big one for him. But it wasn't always because Fox News didn't support him at first. So that was one less channel that he had to spread his propaganda. So anyway, let let me continue reading here and see what else it says. That ballot is your seed, he continued. You did what you believe was right and God will treat you the entire time that that person is in office. Whether it's the governor or the president or a senator or congressman, whomever it is, that ballot is your seed and God will treat you the same and you'll be blessed financially and you'll be blessed in your body and you can put a smile on your face and say glory to God. This is Hemant Mehta speaking now. It's telling how he says we should vote the way God wants us to without going any further. He allows his viewers to fill in the blanks. But anyone who's followed Copeland knows he's a defender of Trump and has been invited to the White House with other preachers. The implication is clear. Vote for Trump and you'll be rich. Give Copeland money and you'll be rich. Sad thing is, the fools who fall for this very likely include people who can't afford to throw away their money. Not that Copeland or Trump would care. More for them, everyone else can suffer. That's pretty on point. I've been putting a heavy focus on pointing out propaganda techniques as I see them because I've been talking about propaganda for like a really long time but haven't really talked about the specific techniques that are used. And one of the ways to battle propaganda is to point it out. That's one of the things you're supposed to do to battle it, is to show people how that works and why it's manipulative and why it influences people and why it's wrong. Uh, So I've been trying to point it out more as I see it. Anyway, this is still, still not the end of the story. So a lot of you guys probably know... Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson is on something called the 700 Club, I think. It's on Christian Broadcasting Network, I believe. He is the definition of a Christian extremist. He's a total nutcase, and he's old as sin, and he says some real messed up stuff, and he's extremely influential in the Christian community. So I figured we'd give this video a watch and see how Pat Robertson is reacting to Trump, because we just saw how Kenneth Copeland is reacting to Trump. He's telling people to vote. He's trying to get his supporters to vote for Trump right now. He wants to support Donald Trump. After the recent events that took place, Trump bringing in the military to quell protests and things like that, uh, using tear gas on protesters, for a photo op. All of this stuff is straight up wrong. This guy was ordering US troops to violate the constitutional rights of US citizens and Kenneth Copeland is encouraging his audience to vote for Trump anyways. So how is the other branch of Christian televangelist evangelicals reacting to, to what Trump did. Let's listen to Pat Robertson and see what he said about it.
1: Welcome to the 700 Club. Is it a time for love or is it a time for war? You know, there's a purpose of everything under heaven we read in the Bible. And there's a time. And it seems like now is the time to say, I understand your pain. I want to comfort you. I think it's time we love each other. But the president took a different course he said i am the president of law and order and he issued a heads up he said i'm ready to send in military troops if the nation's governors don't act to quell the violence that has rocked american city matter of fact he spoke of them as being jerks you just don't do that mr president it isn't cool
0: well why don't you tell me what's cool Pat Robertson. You're the authority on what's cool, but I I agree. I agree. It's not cool. So I think you're correct in the fact that it's not cool to do that just by happenstance. I don't think you have a bead on what's cool and what isn't. I don't think you ever did, but either way, either way, getting in the weeds here. I'm just saying Pat Robertson is deviating from the Christian evangelical televangelist position, like the standard position right now. Donald Trump has believed that he had the evangelical Christian vote on lock, like permanently. Like he believed that he had it and there was no risk of him losing it ever. And a couple of, I don't know, I think like six months ago or so, I covered an article where the biggest... Evangelical Christian News Forum posted an article about Donald Trump being completely immoral and true Christians shouldn't vote for him. And in response to that article being posted on that website, Donald Trump did a tour around the country trying to regain his status among evangelical Christians, which is a massive voting block. Now, Donald Trump gassed protesters and had them beaten like peaceful protesters. I'm talking peaceful ones, violated their constitutional rights so that he could go stand at a church and hold a Bible up and get a picture taken with it. How are evangelicals reacting to that? Not well. They're not reacting well. The fact that Pat Robertson, Pat Robertson, deviated from Trump isn't outright supporting what he did is a really big deal. So you have some people like Kenneth Copeland who continue to support Trump despite the fact that he's a piece of trash, and you have Pat Robertson refusing to accept that. It's a really big deal. So we are seeing a rift in the party, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a while, but... It's a big deal, and it's it, generally speaking, it's good news that Pat Robertson uh, deviated like that. When we come back, we're going to talk about Charlie Kirk and a flurry of tweets he sent recently about race relations in America. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I want to take a look at is called Conservative Charlie Kirk Mocks Protesters. Racism Doesn't Exist. This is by Hemant Mehta. Let's give this a read and see what it says. Conservative activist Charlie Kirk, half of the brain cell behind Liberty University's Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty, said on Twitter today that racism, or at least the kind of systemic racism pervasive throughout our nation's history, is a lie. He also mocked everyone protesting against the police brutality, because of course he did. We're going to get to the tweets in a second, but I just want to talk about Charlie Kirk. So, as Hemant Mehta mentions here, he's half the brain cell behind Liberty University's Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty. Liberty University is actually really big and really famous, and if you don't know what it is, it's a Christian university, like extreme Christian university, and a lot of famous Christians go there and speak... If you guys remember forever ago, Trump got up on that podium and said two Corinthians. He quoted a a verse from two Corinthians instead of second Corinthians. That's where it was. It was at Liberty University. And Charlie Kirk, a lot of the time, will... If you follow Charlie Kirk on Twitter, he's constantly tweeting stuff that he thinks will get him retweeted by Trump. Like, he's written books and stuff about how great Trump is, how's uh, Trump Nation, and and all this other stuff. He has actually caught Trump's attention. He does get retweeted by him fairly frequently now. But I've seen Charlie Kirk debate people like Kyle Kalinsky. I mean, that's where I first heard of Charlie Kirk, was from his debate with secular talks, Kyle Kalinsky. The guy is pretty toxic, generally speaking. He's... uh bomb thrower, if you will. So anyway, with all that being said, let's read this guy's tweets and see what he said about it. Imagine marching in the streets and dedicating your life to something that doesn't exist. It must be a miserable life to believe America is a racist country. It takes effort to believe something so materially false. You know, somebody who says that hasn't been to Baltimore and lived their life on the streets as a black person. The cops in Baltimore, Maryland are notoriously monsters. It is horrific. The fact that he's so capable of denying it is actually really sad. It means that there is truly a racial divide that, see, that is completely shielding some people from it to the point where they genuinely have no idea that this is going on. Like you hear about these cases of police brutality, uh, you know, George Floyd, where he kneeled on his neck for like nine minutes and killed him. But you hear people say, well, that was just one case, you know, that's why it was such a big deal, because it was one case. No, we actually hear about this stuff all the time. It just doesn't make national news is the problem. Not to mention the fact that cops don't all carry body cams. Do you guys know why street gangs exist in the first place? How the Bloods and the Crips formed in the first place? Those gangs, specifically the Crips is what I'm talking about here. I've researched these for cult purposes because um, street gangs operate like cults in many ways. Anyway, the Crips started as a defense mechanism for young black men to protect each other from the police. They knew if they were walking home, they were going to get beaten, possibly to death by the police in the 1940s. So what they started doing is they would all gather in a group and they would walk home together so that the police couldn't attack them or hurt them. They would have to take all of them and they knew that they couldn't. So these street gangs, specifically the Crips, were growing bigger and bigger and protecting each other from the police. That's how it started. And it really devolved from there. Street gangs are not good now, to say the least. Street gangs are violent and dangerous and and hurt people within their own community a lot of the time. It's not great, but that's how they started. It was a protection against police brutality. And look at what we're dealing with now. I mean, people think that this was so long ago, you know? Slavery ended, like, 150 years ago. You're still complaining about this? Yeah, that's true. Technically speaking, slavery ended 150 years ago in the U.S. But Jim Crow laws lasted for decades. The Civil Rights Movement didn't happen until 1964. Desegregation didn't happen until 1964. People were still drinking from blacks and whites' water fountains, sitting on black and white sections of the city bus until the 1960s. And it's only been 50 years, if that. But it's been, all right, we'll say, it's only been like less than 60 years now. There are people alive today who were adults who had to drink from colored water fountains it was not that long ago. Seriously, it wasn't that long ago. How can you say in any realistic way or honest, unironic way that racism, systemic racism has been dealt with and does not exist? It's only been 50 or 60 years since we desegregated. Completely unrealistic to claim that. Anyway, Let's continue reading this. This is Hemant Metta speaking. As anyone who's been subject to racism, i.e., not Charlie Kirk, will tell you, it's exhausting to have to defend your own existence and self worth to the sort of people who think blackface jokes are hilarious, take pride in Confederate monuments and instinctively say things like all lives matter because they don't understand what they're responding to. It's frustrating to have to explain American history to people whose career is built on distorting or ignoring it. But Kirk, of all people, should know what it's like to dedicate your life to something that doesn't exist. Here's another set of tweets from Charlie Kirk. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14:6 This Easter, invite Jesus into your life. He will heal, guide, lead, teach, comfort, and love you. Jesus was God's ultimate gift to the world. Jesus is king. Oh my God. So he's another, he's just another Christian nationalist then. Here's another tweet. Jesus died for us, was tortured for us. He's a gift to broken humans. He is a teacher for the lost. He suffered so we can be forgiven. Jesus is love. Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ. (laughs) This guy is... I'm sorry. Look, I know religion isn't a mental illness. I know that. It isn't. It's not a delusion. Technically speaking, it's not. I mean, delusion is like a medical word with a medical definition. Religion doesn't fit the bill. It's Definitionally, it's not a delusion. But I'll be damned if it doesn't look exactly like it. Let's continue this uh, this tweet thread. Jesus taught us, walked with us, ate with us, worked with us, debated us. And then for doing nothing wrong, died for us. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We're all sinners. We're broken, but have salvation thanks to Jesus taking up the cross to save us. So the guy is obviously completely obsessed with Jesus, almost to an unhealthy level. Here's what Hemant Meta said. It must be miserable to be Charlie Kirk. It takes effort to believe something so materially false. Charlie Kirk, like I said, is a bomb thrower. He basically says or does whatever it takes to get Trump's attention. It's really honestly pretty sad. He's even written a book to get Trump's attention and Trump absolutely loved it and tweeted about it. So doesn't surprise me that this guy's dealing with a serious level of cognitive dissonance. When we come back, we're gonna talk about Reuters polls on political figures and the state of the election. So give us about 30 seconds and we'll be right back. So the next article I want to take a look at is by Reuters, and the title is Exclusive. In Warning Sign for Trump, Republicans Growing Pessimistic About Countries' Direction. Generally speaking, I, I talked about this last time too, I think Reuters is a pretty solid news network. CNN, not so much. Fox News, not so much. MSNBC, NBC, not so much. Reuters is pretty on point, generally speaking. BBC America, pretty on point. Uh, Associated Press is also really good That's usually where I try to get my news from And I trust it I trust Reuters If they're saying something For the most part I'm going to trust it Um, And if they're not saying something That the rest of the news networks are saying I make note of that fact too Maybe the other news networks are playing up on something That doesn't deserve to be examined Let's read the article and see what it says This is by Joseph Axe. Republicans are more pessimistic about the country's direction than almost any other time during Donald Trump's presidency. As a trio of crises, the coronavirus pandemic, an economic downturn, and mass protests over police brutality buffets his administration. Only 46% of Americans who identify as Republicans say the country is on the right track. Wow, 46% of Americans who identify as Republicans say that the country is on the right track. That's surprisingly low right now for having a Republican president. It's the first time that number has fallen so low since August 2017, when a rally organized by white supremacists in Charlottesville, Virginia, led to violent clashes with counter protesters. As recently as March, before the novel coronavirus forced widespread shutdowns across the country, about 70% of Republicans said they were optimistic about the country's direction. Yeah, I guess early March, I think it was like. February 23rd, or was it March 23rd when the stock market took a massive plunge? I don't remember. Uh, Let me just take a quick look here. Um, No need to wonder, just loaded up my question gun. Let's go answer hunting. (laughs) Uh, I know how awfully cringy that is. That's why I do it. I absolutely love it. Okay, so I'm looking at the the stock market right now. Uh, The Dow Jones, it really started to plunge February 23rd. It really fell February 20th to 23rd. That's where it really bottomed out hard. Uh, It hit the bottom March 23rd. So from February 23rd to March 23rd, it was just nosediving into the ground. So in early March, which means halfway through the stock market completely bottoming out, 70% of Republicans still said they like the direction the country's going or that they were optimistic about the country's direction. And now it's 46% after these riots and everything. That, that is something to make note of. That's really interesting. Let's continue reading. Trump's approval rating remains resilient at around 40%, with a large majority of Republicans still approving of his overall performance. But sustained pessimism among Trump supporters could portend potential weakness ahead of November's election, when he will face Democratic former Vice President Joe Biden, experts said. 37% of Republicans said the country is on the wrong track. 17% of those said they would vote for Biden if the election were held now. While 63% still plan to cast ballots for Trump. I didn't decide to cover this article, but um, a bunch of old guard Republicans came out and basically said they're voting Biden. Like George Bush said he's not supporting Trump. He's not voting Trump in the 2020 election. That's a big deal. Real big deal. Colin Powell, who is, um, I think he was a general for George W. Bush, He also said he's not voting Trump, he's voting Biden. Big deal. That is not a small thing. Lots of old guard Republicans are coming out of the woodwork and basically endorsing Biden. In an election, most analysts believe will come down to a handful of closely divided states such as Michigan, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. Even minor defections or a dip in turnout among the Republican ranks could imperil Trump's chances." Yeah, Trump's in a real bad place at this immediate moment. But he's still got five months to go. We still have five months. And if I know anything about Trump, it's that he's a phenomenal propagandist. He's very good at it. He's going to use the fire hose technique, which I talked about on my channel recently, where he uses as many media channels as he possibly can. Fox News, One America News Network, Twitter, White House press briefings, to spread as many false facts as possible, as much misinformation as he possibly can. Basically, gish gallop false information and keep saying it over and over and over again through as many media channels as he can until people start believing it. It's a form of gaslighting and gish galloping. So he's got five months to do that. We'll see if he can manage to re-brainwash the country in time. Uh, for the election after he completely royally fucked up with bringing in the military. Uh, Let's continue reading. It probably should be concerning for the president, even though it's reasonable to say he still maintains strong support among Republicans, said Kyle Kondik, an elections analyst at the University of Virginia. Republicans believe an economic rebound in the fall would bolster his prospects. Friday's jobs reports showed more than 2.5 million jobs were added last month during the thick of the coronavirus pandemic. Trump touted the gains as the greatest comeback in American history. Uh, As we learned recently, that's not actually true. I don't know when this article was written, but we found out that the, the unemployment rate was fudged. It, it isn't 13.3% like we thought. It's 16.3%. They were miscounting it. Called it an accounting error. Um, I don't know if it was intentional or not. Who fucking knows at this point. But it was not that much better. They were expecting 19%. They got 16.5%. So I guess it's a little bit better. But it's not the greatest comeback in American history. Trump campaign spokeswoman Erin Perrin said in a statement, polling is notoriously wrong. We are five months from the election and any polling now is not a clear indicator of election results. Pollsters were very wrong in 2016 and underestimate voters' enthusiasm for President Trump every time. No, um, polls are not notoriously wrong. That is false information. Uh, Polls are actually pretty good, generally speaking. The polls were largely correct in 2016. It's just Hillary Clinton did get more votes than Donald Trump. It's just the way that the votes fell meant that he won the most electoral votes because we don't live in a democracy in the U.S., we live in a representative democracy or a republic. So the way that the votes fell let us to think that, w- that Hillary Clinton was going to win, but Donald Trump won the electoral college and that's what counts in this republic, so. This is raising a lot of red flags for people, raising a lot of red flags for Trump. It's very concerning and who knows what he's going to do to try to get things back on track. Basically anything, I imagine. I don't know why he thought bringing in the military was a good idea right now, before the election. You'd think he'd be on his best behavior right now, but maybe this is his best behavior when he's got nothing else to lose in four years when he you know he's got six months left of his eight years. What's he gonna be willing to do? I mean he has taken the constitutional rights of Americans and trampled on them in horrific, disturbing ways. If this doesn't get him out of office, I genuinely don't know what will. Probably nothing. That's where I'm going to end it for the night. Appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week.